0: Hey, it's good to see you this weekend, and uh, if this is your first time kind of hanging out with us online, welcome. I'm Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Norton Campus Grace Church. Love the fact you joined us. Uh, For those of you who've been joining us, good to see you again. Uh, Obviously, if you've been kind of following along, you know that we've kind of made some adjustments for the next couple weeks, and uh, we're excited about some of that. Uh, One of the things that we announced was this, that the 13th and the 20th, we are suspending sunday services but what we're doing is simply this we want to connect people and we would say it this way we're suspending sunday services we're just going to flip them and so these next two weeks we have service sundays and just kind of ways for you to connect uh we have people that are going to be praying uh encouraging through writing notes and phone calls making gift baskets for us to take to different people who are in need Uh, and then also we're going to mobilize teams of people Socially distance mask to uh, carol at different places where people who just need to see some faces. So, I encourage you to sign up, go to our website, uh, check this out. Uh, there is a cap to all of these, right? Because we got to do this in a responsible way. So, go RSVP. Don't just show up to these, RSVP. But this is a way for us to just spread the love of Jesus. And then, Christmas Eve, we're going to have a drive in service. Uh, we're going to have four, four times. Uh, they're going to be three o'clock, five o'clock. 7 o'clock and 9 o'clock. And so I encourage you to come. Be a part of it. It's going to be a blast, guys. Uh, I already know curfew's been extended in Ohio. Understand that. That 9 o'clock service, we will get you home so that you don't get in trouble with the police, okay? So, uh, uh, but I want you to come be a part of it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a December to remember, right? It's going to be a December to remember. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation today, and I want to start by saying this. I want to ask you a question, right? Raise your hand, right? Whether you're watching this alone or with other people, uh, how many of you Hate messiness. Just raise your hand, right? You're like a clean freak. You're a neat freak, right? You're somebody who hates it when it's a mess. Uh, I'm one of those people. I can't study when my office is a mess. I try to keep things in its place, right? I hate messiness, right? It gets me all kind of flustered in my mind. Some of you hate messiness. Others of you, you raise your hand. Some of you, you you're so used. You're so used to living in messiness, you're like, what mess, right? You can live in the middle of it like, oh, my, this is just my system, right? This is just the way I operate. Some of you are in that boat, right? Uh, how many of you have teenagers? <laughs> just your right hand. How many? And, and you have told them, go clean up the mess in your room. Anybody do that? And so then they come back down or upstairs, wherever the case may be, and, and they're like, I cleaned up my mess. Only for you to go down a little later, turn on the light and realize it's still what? a mess, right? You see, here's the deal. Uh, When you turn on the lights, it has a way of revealing the mess, right? That you can kind of hide in the dark. Uh, 2020 has had a way of turning on the lights and it's revealed some messiness. Let's just be honest. It's revealed some messiness. Uh, If you're taking notes, I encourage you to do this. First is this. I think uh, it's revealed this, that life is messy all around us. I think that's one of the things that's revealed. It's kind of like 2020 flipped on the switch and it revealed the ugly. It revealed the messiness. It revealed some things that maybe we thought might be there in the shadows we didn't know, right? It revealed some polarization, some division, some, some selfishness, it, it it some strong opinions, some skepticism. It, it revealed a, a threat of racism, right? Uh, 2020 had a way of doing it. For some of us, uh, we didn't need 2020 or we didn't even need to watch the news because the uh, fact of the matter is there's messiness all around us and that messiness is in our own family, right? Like, like you just had to look at your own family like, oh man, we're a mess. Like everything's a mess in our family, right? And 2020 has only exasperated that. For a lot of us, the mess all around us, right? So life is messy. It's messy. And for a lot of us, what can happen? It can disappoint us. It can kind of steal hope. Right? Kind of paralyze us. Truth is, 2020 turned on the light, showed us the mess all around us, but it did something else, right? For some of us, it didn't just show us that life is messy around us. I want you to write this down. It showed us that life is messy inside of us. That's just the truth, right? Some of you are there. That life is messy inside of me and when the lights got turned on, it revealed some things. For some of us, it revealed regret over decisions we've made. Some of you are right there right now and it's turned that on and that messiness is revealed. For some of us, the lights got turned on and it, it revealed the shame about habits that I can't break or maybe habits that you started in the middle of this. For others of us, it, it, the lights got turned on inside of us and it, and it began to all of a sudden reveal attitudes, right? It began to reveal some addictions that you couldn't break, relationships that maybe you ruined, guilt, somebody was just carrying around guilt, right? And it's like, I'm a mess. Fear, that par- anxiety that just paralyzes you, right? A mess inside, right? Or, or, or it reveals some things, because a lot of people have had time to think, things I wish I hadn't have said, or, or things I wish I would have said, Right? All of a sudden it begins to reveal certain things and and now everything's different. I'm a mess inside. Anybody relate with that? Just raise your hand, right? Anybody? You see, the first Christmas can help us navigate the mess, the mess around us, the mess inside of us because the first Christmas didn't happen on a Hallmark card. We've been talking about this first Christmas. We try to sanitize it, right? Right? Uh, we try to polish it. We try to make it look like a Christmas program. You, you, ever, you ever done a Christmas program with, with little kids? Anybody ever do that or seen that? And, and so you do this kind of depiction of the nativity, right? Uh, my wife and I had the privilege out in Indiana one time to, to direct one of these, right? The little kids and the bathrobes and all that. You ever, you ever seen what that's like? And everybody's freaked out. Moms want their kids to perform and everybody wants everything to be perfect, right? Can we just say something? Can we admit it? They're never perfect. <laughs> Never. When you got a bunch of little kids doing the live nativity, it's not going to be perfect. The shepherd's going to pick his nose, right? Mary and Joseph are going to forget the line. The sheep is going to eat the frankincense. It is going to be a mess, right? And here's what I would say. Let it be a mess. Come on. Let it be a mess. Here's why I tell you that. First Christmas couched in messiness. First Christmas couched in messiness. And nowhere is that more evident than in the part of the Christmas story that is the most avoided, maybe the hardest to read. It's just overlooked. And yet there's something profound in there. I want to share it with you. I want you to look at it. Go to Matthew 1. Get there in your Bible. If you've got to pause this and get there, whatever. Go to Matthew 1 and uh, use your phone, Bible, whatever the case may be, Matthew 1, and we're going to start right at the beginning because here's what it says. It says this, this is the, there's a big word, genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. What's this about? Genealogy, this has been something that's been common. Genealogy is part of of what they would have shared to tell where somebody came from, right? It's the part we avoid, but this would have been very important to them. Because literally, this would have been the resume of whoever they're talking about. And so there would have been a lot of kings that when they shared their genealogy, they would have selected who they wanted included <laughs> and who they didn't. Right? Because it would have been important. Like, wow, that's kind of beefs up the resume, which makes Jesus's, listen, genealogy even more intriguing to me. Let's just read it and make some observations. Here's what it says This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. The son of David, come back to that, son of Abraham, check this out, Abraham, you got it, was the father of Isaac, and that's true. But Abraham wasn't just the father of Isaac, he also was the father of Ishmael. And if you know anything about that story, Ishmael was born before Isaac, why? Because God promised to give them a son, Abraham and Sarah. And they, somewhere along the way, got impatient and thought God's not going to come through. And they took matters into their own hands. And Sarah told Abraham, go sleep with my servant, Hagar. And he did. (laughs) And boom, there is Ishmael. And it created quite a mess. And that mess, quite frankly, is playing out even now in the Middle East. (laughs) It goes on. It wasn't just that Abraham's in this family genealogy. It says this, Abraham is the father of Isaac. Isaac, it says, was the father of Jacob, and he was. (laughs) But he also is the father of Esau. If you read the story, Esau and Jacob were twins. Esau came first. He was a hairy guy. Kind of weird story. Go read it, right? And and Jacob was a smooth guy. Here's the deal. In their culture, the first, which would have been Esau, had the blessing and the birthright. This Jacob, who's in Jesus' genealogy, literally with the help of his mother, steals the birthright and the blessing of Esau by deceiving his half-blind dad. That's all in here, right? It says Isaac was the father of Jacob. Then it gets even Jacob was the father of, well, here we go, Judah and his brothers. There was a raft of them, right? And then it says this. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was, say what? Tamar. Because what you need to know is like, well, why is that important? Well, one, it would have been interesting there was a woman in here in their culture, but two, that they would have included Tamar because, yeah, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, but he also was the father of Ur. You're like, well, why is that important? Because Ur was the husband of, you ready? Tamar. (laughs) And he died. He was a wicked man. In their culture, Judah, father-in-law, would have been the one to instruct his next son to go and, and carry on the husband duties, so to speak. He did that. That guy, wicked, dies. Then he's supposed to send the next one. And he promises Tamar he's going to send his next son and he doesn't do it. She realizes he's not going to keep his promise. This is all Genesis 38. Read it, man. It's like, and if your kids are in the room, like kind of distract them for a minute. Because she dresses up, here's Judas coming to town. She dresses up like a prostitute and she solicits her father-in-law for sex. He takes the invitation, leaves his seal and cord with her. Little time passes, he finds out Tamar, his dead son's wife is pregnant. He's like, how dare she? She should die. And I want to see the seal of the father of this baby. She sends back the seal, and he looks, and it's his own seal. <laughs> That's all in here. Like, this thing's starting out kind of rough. But, but then it goes on. We'll just kind of be quick. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Love these names, right? Get some names for your kids if you're expecting, right? Ram, the father of Aminadab. Minadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was, there it is, another woman, right? Rahab. Remember her, Joshua in the walls of Jericho? What was she? She was a what? A prostitute. <laughs> Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was, remember this name, Ruth? Man, if I'm counting right, this is our third woman. That would have been highly unusual. But not only that, she's not even a Jew. She's a Moabite. <laughs> Poor beggar in the story. If you read her story, she has a whole book named after her in the Old Testament. And well, then Obed, the father of Jesse, ready? And Jesse, the father of King David. Now we're talking, right? It's like, woo! Now we slid home, right? That's going to beef up the resume. Everybody wants to be attached to King David. But look at what it says next. David was the father of who? Solomon. And then it's just, could you just stop? Could you just stop? Whose mother had been what? Your eyes what? Do you know the story? Oh, boy. <laughs> Why does that to include that? Like King David, while, while, while the men are out to war, he's just kind of looking out his window and he sees a woman taking a bath on the rooftop. Bathsheba. And so what he does is he calls her to his palace, commits adultery with her, right? She becomes pregnant. He tries every which way to Tuesday to try to figure out a way to get out of this thing. Doesn't happen. She's pregnant. So he ends up ordering the death of her husband. (laughs) And you begin to read this and hear something, you know, you can read through the rest of the genealogy. For the sake of today, here's what I want you to write down. Jesus came from a messy family. His family tree was a little shady. <laughs> no pun intended, right? It was a little shady, right? You read this thing, it includes the names of people that make no sense if you're trying to impress people with your genealogy. When you really inspect his family tree, you see prostitutes, poor, Gentile beggars, adulterers, cheats, and liars, and then you fast forward. <clears throat> Look what it says. Go down to verse 16, chapter 1. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of, say the word out loud, of who? Mary and Mary. Mary was the what? Mother of Jesus. You know Mary engaged to that really good guy who is a woodworker, really upstanding guy, who before they were married that bump started to show up. That that Mary. That Mary who before they were married, the bump showed up, and she said God did it. <laughs> Let this be real. It's a little messy. I bet that created some scandal. <laughs> I bet that created some talk in town. You see, Jesus came from a messy family. Maybe a family a lot like yours, I don't know. But you need to know that. Maybe you didn't know that. His family tree is messy. And what is interesting is this, is that God wanted it recorded exactly that way. He wanted all of these people included in the resume, as it were. I think it's interesting. Hallmark might have kind of scripted them out, (laughs) If this was a Hallmark movie, it's like, hey, let's include these people and not include this, and let's not add this, and we certainly wouldn't have included This was the lady who used to be Uriah's wife, <laughs> right? I mean, Hallmark would have scripted that out. Most kings would have found a way to write these parts out. And yet it seems that Jesus, in his genealogy, is exactly the way God intended it. He came from a family that was messy. That's not all. You see, if you read the book of Matthew, here's what happens. Let me just take you real quick. Matthew chapter 2, the Magi show up. Jesus probably isn't an infant by that time. Probably a year or two have passed, right? Then you get to chapter 3. All of a sudden, he's baptized, tempted by Satan, right? Chapter 3, 4, first disciples. Chapters 5 through 7, Jesus preaches Sermon on the Mount. And then after the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 8, look at what happens. It says this, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This guy has leprosy. Literally, he would have been an outcast. He would have had to, when he came into town, say, unclean, unclean, stay away from me. Don't get near me. He comes to Jesus, if you're willing. And Jesus doesn't just say, I'm willing. But he reached out his hand. What's it say? And he touched the man. That, that that intrigues me. I have that underlined in my Bible. I'm willing. Be clean. He touched this man that others would have avoided. You can go a chapter further, chapter 9. Look what it says, verse 9. If you have your Bibles, just look at it. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said. He's a tax collector. Jewish people would have hated him. He's working for the Romans. Matthew got up and followed him, and while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and who what's it say sinners came and ate with him and his disciples the pharisees they're the religious guys saw this they asked his disciples why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners what's the point jesus came from a messy family and jesus hung out with messy people Jesus grew up and he didn't distance himself from people whose life was a mess. In fact, he listened to people that other people ignored. Jesus touched people that other people would have avoided. Jesus spent time with people that other people wouldn't pay attention to. Jesus was kind to people that other people would condemn. It's interesting that he hung out with people who look like his family tree. That's interesting to me. And it irritated, it irritated the religious people because he was messing up their hallmark religion. They conspired, they were so upset with him, to have him delivered over to the Romans to be killed and then sentenced to die a messy death. And look at what Matthew says. This is all the book of Matthew. Chapter 27, verse 38, two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults, shaking their heads, saying, you, are, you were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you really are the son of God. In the same way, chief priests, all these religious people mocked him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him. If he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. It's like, why did he save himself? And in the same way, these two guys beside him, who were crucified with him, they heap their insults on him. Here's the way I would write it down. Jesus died between two messy guys. He came from a messy family. He hung out with messy people. He died between two messy guys, two rebels. They're heaping their insults on him. They're literally dying together. This is the reason for the story of Christmas. Here's what I want you to know. The baby born on that first Christmas came so that he could die on that first Easter. Why? Let's go back to where the story all started. Matthew chapter one, there's something interesting. You have your Bibles open there, right? Here's what it says. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the what? Say the word out loud. The what? The Messiah, the Messiah, the son of David, son of Abraham. Verse 16, Verse 16, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the what? Say the word out loud. The messiah, the messiah. What's a messiah? A messiah is simply uh, someone who is expected to save people from a very bad situation. A savior, that, that's what it meant, a liberator. By the way, messiah is not just this churchy bit Bible word. But, but I will tell you this, there's no reason for a messiah unless there's a mess to save people from. And that's the story of Jesus. Here's the big idea. I want you to write it down this way. The big idea is this. Jesus is the Messiah, the Messiah, who came from a mess. His family was a mess. He came into a mess, hung out with messy people, died between two messy guys. Why? He came for all that is a mess. That's the point. That's the hope of Christmas, guys. Hope is not, listen... Write this down somewhere, no slide for it. Hope is not the absence of a mess. It's the presence of a Messiah. Hope isn't the, you're like, life's a mess. My life's a mess. I know. And because life is a mess and your life's a mess, there's a need for a messiah, messiah. (laughs) And hope is not the absence of a mess, but it's the presence of there is a messiah. Messiah. First and foremost, there's a Messiah for my mess. I would write it down this way. Jesus is the Messiah who came to heal the mess inside of me. The truth is we're all mess inside. Come on, let's just admit it. Let's just admit it. You're sitting at your kitchen table right now. You're watching in your living room. You're listening on the road to work. Whatever you're doing, here's the deal. We're all mess. Some of us admit it. Others of us try to hide it. That's what the religious people did, by the way. You do know that, right? Like, like I, I don't know what you do when somebody comes to your house, but if somebody comes to your house, some of you are like, quick, throw everything in the closet, right? Hide the mess. That's what religion does. So when you read the story of Jesus, these religious people, they're a mess, but they just try to hide it behind their religion. Everything looks great on the outside. They're a mess on the inside. Some of you look really good on the outside, right? You look really religious, right? I'm, I'm not being critical of you. I'm just saying you're hiding it. No one knows, Right? but we're all a mess. When Jesus came, he had a way of revealing the mess inside of all of us. He came from a messy family, made friends with messy people, died between two messy guys, so he could give hope to everybody whose life is a mess, who is a mess inside. Here's the way a passage says it in the message. Now, a message is a paraphrase, but here's how it says it, it's interesting to me. In Christ, listen, this is so cool. God put the wrong on him, that's Jesus, He never did anything wrong. Why? So we could be put right with God. He got my mess. How did did the Messiah save me from my mess? He got my mess so that I could get his beauty. He got my wrong so that I could get his righteousness. When he died, that's what happened. We are all a mess. You can do several things with your mess. Some of you are doing it right now. Some of you are doing exactly what the religious leaders did in Jesus' day. You're you're, you're denying your mess. You're like, I'm not a mess. You're hiding your mess. Everybody else might be a mess. The fact of the matter is, you're a mess. And it's not until you realize, admit, acknowledge, and look at your mess square in the eye that the gospel and the story of Jesus will have any profound power in your life. It just won't. There is no power in a Messiah unless I admit my mess. So some of you are like denying it. And I'm like, listen, I got to look at it. Others of us, we're trying to clean up our mess. Like I'm just trying to get some hopes. I'm just trying to clean it up so that I can invite Jesus to be a part of my life then. And I want to tell you this, that hope doesn't come when I clean up my mess, but hope comes because of my mess. There's a Messiah because life is a mess. Jesus came and died for everything that's a mess in my life so that he can take what's a mess and make it beautiful. Uh, Others of us have gotten so used to our mess, we just kind of nose blind to our mess, right? Our life stinks and and, and we kind of come nose blind to it, right? Uh, Some of us, if we're honest, and some of you know what this is like, you ever sit in your house and it gets so a mess you don't even know where to start? You ever been there? Like you sit in the middle of a mess, you're like, uh, it's so out of hand, I don't even know where to start. And some of you, that's your life. It is so messed up right now that you don't even know where to start. Because somehow you think you have to clean up the mess. And the place to start is this, I need to invite the Messiah into my mess. That's why He died. He died for all the decisions that you made that you regret. He died for all the things that you're ashamed of. He died. Someone died. It was him. Something really cool happens when I invite the Messiah into my mess. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me show it to you. New Living Translation. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You see this? And you can't take credit for it. Gift, grace from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are, say these words out loud, we are what? God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ so we can do good things he planned for us to do. Write this down somewhere. The Messiah turns my mess into his masterpiece. That's what happens. <laughs> he literally turns my mess into his masterpiece. He takes what is a mess, makes it beautiful. And he says, you're not only a trophy of grace, but you are now my masterpiece of good. I have plans for you. Some of you right now, you're a mess inside and you're not sure what to do and you're trying to deny it. I'm telling you this, the gospel and the story of Jesus never makes sense until you admit it. Some of you are trying to clean it up and I'm saying, listen, hope is not the absence of your mess, but it's inviting the Messiah into your mess. He died for all those things that are a mess. That attitude that's bitter, that unforgiveness that you can't seem to somehow unload, that guilt that just follows you around like a shadow you can't shake. That's why the Messiah died. If there's not a mess, there's no need for a Messiah. And God said, Jesus is the Messiah, came from a mess, hung out with messy people, all right? He, he knows we're a mess. You, you might need to know that today. Watching this. He already knows. Everybody else you've got hidden from. Everybody else you have it hidden from. Not Jesus. He knows you're a mess. And he loves you. And he died for everything that's a mess inside of you. And he wants to turn your mess into a masterpiece. And it's grace. Have you ever said yes to him? Have you ever invited him into your mess? It makes me think something else. Like, there's not just a mess inside of me, but some of us, like, we've done that, but we look around us and we're like, oh my goodness, everything's a mess. (laughs) And I would write this down. Jesus is the Messiah who gives hope for the mess all around me. For some of us, we look all around our life like, okay, I've invited Jesus to kind of take the mess inside of me and make it a masterpiece, all that kind of stuff. But I look and I watch the news and I look at my family, everything's a mess around me. And Jesus, if Jesus is the Messiah for the mess inside of me, why would he not be the hope and the Messiah for the mess all around me? Can I just talk frankly with you? For some of us, it's easy to think in the middle of a messy season, it's easy to think that hope is found in a political solution, an economic solution, some other maybe humanitarian remedy, and those things aren't bad. But somehow we, we attach our hope to that. And what happens is this, we put all our energy into that. We put all our energy into making sure our political platform is the, the thing that makes its way or the economic reform is the thing that makes its way because that's where the hope of the future is. And yet the truth is what God said is, no, the hope... For the mess all around us is a Messiah. The story of Christmas reminds me of that, that lasting hope for the mess around us is found in the Messiah who came to save us. Here's what's interesting. For those of us who've said yes to Jesus, God seems to say that for those who've invited the Messiah into their mess, we become agents who take the message of that Messiah into a messy world. Look at what it says, 2 Corinthians 5. It's in the message. I have it written here in my notes. God put the world square with himself. I love the way they word that, through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start. Woo, we need that, right? By offering forgiveness of sins, God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. That's our task. We're Christ representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences, enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. Like, like reconcile. What's the point? Write it down this way. We are messengers of the Messiah running into the messiness of our world. If he's the answer for the mess inside of me, why would I think there's another answer for the mess all around me? He is. You know what, friend? If you've said yes to Jesus, can I just tell you this? That, that, that Literally what he says is this Messiah who came from a family that was a mess, hung out with people who were messy, died between two messy people. He says this, I'm the answer for the mess inside of you. And I'm the answer for the mess all around you. And once you've said yes to him as the Messiah of your life, he says, now I don't want to simply make you a masterpiece, but you are the messenger. I want you to give your attention to running with this good news story of a Messiah who came from a mess into a mess to help all that is a mess. You see, I can tell you this. I meet with a lot of people, and we can spend a lot of time trying to fight a lot of battles that we think are going to bring hope to our world, and we can lose the war. The fact of the matter is Jesus is the hope. You see, that's why we're doing what we're doing for the next couple of weeks. That's why we simply have taken these words and flipped them. For the next two weeks, we're doing this. Sunday services are now service Sundays. Why? Well, for the next two weeks, instead of coming and listening to the preacher pray, I'm inviting you. Will you come and pray? <laughs> Will you come and pray with us for the messiness that's around us? Maybe the messiness inside of us. For the next two weeks, I'm inviting you to come, sign up, RSVP. Instead of coming and hearing what you can do to demonstrate the love of Jesus, I'm inviting you to come and do it. Come and do it. I'm inviting you for the next two weeks, instead of coming and listening to the preacher, encourage, inspire, exhort you. I'm going to say, why don't you come and encourage, inspire through calls and cards. For the next two weeks, I'm saying instead of coming and sitting in a room and singing songs that we love of worship, I'm saying, why don't we take this road on the show, or the, this, this show on the road? And, and let's take our worship there. Let, let's, let's get out of the building. The church has left the building. And in a socially distant, responsible way, let's share the love of Jesus. Why? Because he's the Messiah who said, You are the messengers of the message of the Messiah. And so, right now, things seem messy. Why don't you run into the mess? Now listen, here's what I know. Some of you cannot. Some of you, you don't feel, this is not what you can do. It's not even what some of you should do, to be honest with you. We're just trying to find creative ways to connect with those of you who feel comfortable. For those of you who don't, like, I'm home until until, you know, I'm sure that we're in a safe spot. It doesn't mean you're off off the hook, right? If you're somebody who said yes to Jesus, why don't you find a creative way to run into the messiness with the message of the Messiah? You're saying, Dan, how do I do that? I double dog dare you right now to begin praying for your three, right now. As soon as you're done with this video, three people that you know who've never said yes to Jesus. Go beyond that. Pray, just like we're going to do here at the building. I double dog dare you. Pick two people that you could write a card to this week. Two people you could write a card to this week to encourage them. They might be somebody that's lonely. They might be somebody who's disconnected. Put two people. Come on. I, I, I'm i saying put shoe leather to this. I, I double-dog dare you to pick three people to pray for, two people to encourage, and one person to do something for. Whatever that is. Send them a, a gift or Something. Run into the messiness with the message of a Messiah who came, and he's the hope of the world. That's the story of Christmas. Some of you are a mess inside, and you've never said yes to Jesus. He loves you. He knows you're a mess. And he died for you. And he died for everything that's a mess inside of you. And I want you to bow your head with me right now and pray. Because you right there can simply talk to God, and you can say, God, I... I know you love me, and I'm a mess. I am an absolute mess. My heart is wrong. My attitude is upside down. I'm selfish. I got sin. I got regret. I got guilt, whatever it is. And I believe Jesus is the Messiah who came and died for all that's a mess inside of me. And I want to say yes to him as my Messiah, Savior, and Lord. And I want to follow him the rest of my life. And I want to be this masterpiece and this messenger to take that good news to others who need that hope. And God, I'm so grateful that we can look at the story of Christmas and realize that hope is not the absence of a mess, but it's the presence of Jesus the Messiah. I pray this in his name. Amen.